What if the speed of light was 30 miles an hour? What if Earth had two suns? Which cereal mascot would win in a what fight? What if everyone lived underground? What if, it rained what if money grew what on if trees? What if pigs could fly? I don't know if that would actually happen. It's much easier to store a unicycle than to store a horse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Guys, we are going deep into old religion today because we are looking at all of the very, very cool and normal and not crazy at all. Greek myths. What if Greek myths were real is the question for today. I see someone has written the parameters. We will not try to say Roman name. <laughs> like Hercules. For some reason, they use Hercules instead of Heracles in the Disney movie for some reason. And they used Greek with everything else. Yep. And he's like the main character. He but is. Yeah. It, we're going to, well, we're going to try not to mix up the, the, the Greek names with the Roman names first off. Second off, pronunciation is going to be abysmal across the board. I don't know about you guys, but there are many, many names on here that I have only seen written down and not ever heard said out loud, including like probably real places, real cities. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to preemptively ask for forgiveness on the pronunciation you can try and email us to correct us, but it's so hard to get pronunciation across in an email message anyway, and I don't know how those dictionary sound things look, so even that won't help me. So really, I'm just going to be entirely, it's going to be entirely useless to tell me I'm pronouncing things wrong because I won't be able to learn. You can make one of those YouTube pronunciation videos. Yeah, send me, send me, send me a, a YouTube link that you upload of you pronouncing it correctly, and then maybe I'll believe you. But yeah, so what, what, if, what if the Greek myths were actually real? If you guys don't mind, I'll go ahead and get us started. My starting point for this question was actually taking a look at Mount Olympus. Uh, because we're going to have a bunch of Greek gods running around, I wanted to get an idea of, like, where they'd be running around. Uh, and if that would end up being kind of like, you know, my day-to-day -day problem. Unbeknownst to me, but likely known by a lot of other people, Mount Olympus is a real mountain. It is in Greece, the highest mountain in Greece, and it's located on the border between Thessaly and Macedonia. The highest peak is... Oh boy, here we start already. Mitticus, Mitticus, <laughs> I'm gonna say Mitticus, uh, which is located, which is uh, at 9,570 feet. That's not that tall for a mountain, actually. Mount Olympus is not that big. Mount Everest is three times that height at 29,032 feet. Um, it's so very not tall, in fact, that thousands of people climb and visit it each year. Even the ancient Greeks were going up <laughs> Mount Olympus all the time just to like. You know, it was a kind of religious place for them, but they had no problem, like, going up and hanging out at the peak. They found, like, pots and pottery at the mountaintops dating back to their era. So they were just like, huh, there are no gods up here. Yeah, it didn't really, you know, it didn't really in impact their religion, I guess. And it's not that even bad to get up there. It's free of snow five months of the year. Uh, it's not high enough for oxygen deprivation to become a concern. Temperatures are normally above freezing in the summer. According to like the tourist was tourism websites, uh, the high like one of the highest peaks, Agios Antonios in particular, is a basic walk for someone who's moderately fit, which is basically saying like it's almost a tr flat trail going up. You can do the climb basically in a single day from the trailhead, and like they'll even do like organized runs up Mount Olympus. Like it's just <laughs> they'll just like go and do it. It's, it's a very casual mountain as far as mountain climbing goes. But hey, if mythology was real. It wasn't quite that easy. Not anyone could just walk right up, even in the in the Greek myth. Generally, Zeus would keep a cloud cover to obscure the peak, so the you know the puny mortals couldn't see what they were up to. 
and there was like I saw some stuff about like it could be, you know, invisible to if someone like walked up it could like hide itself from unwanted guests, but it wasn't very consistent, so I'm not giving that much too much credit. So if it was real, we could kind of just go there. But I wanted to see if it's more mythological what would happen. So there are stories of mortals trying to break into, you know, the Acropolis, the top of the mountain, and, you know, see all the gods. One is Bellerophon. Bellerophon? Bellerophon. I'm going to go with Bellerophon is my most... Bellerophon. My best take on this one. Medicus Bellerophon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, these are so bad. Uh, Bellerophon, whose secret power, his story, his secret power is based mostly just being friends with Pegasus for non-consistent, unexplained reasons. But basically, he, as a child, became friends with Pegasus, got a golden bridle to go with it. And after doing some hero-like stuff with the aid of Pegasus, slaying monsters and some Amazons, uh, he was like, cool, I did all my heroic duties. I really deserve a invite to Mount Olympus, but I'm not going to bother waiting for an actual invite from a god. Why, who waits for that? So he decided to just fly Pegasus up there. And on his way, you know, Zeus saw him coming. He's like, yeah, no, that's not cool. And he sent a horse fly to bite Pegasus so that Pegasus threw Bellerophon off its back. I think he actually, I, I didn't write, I forgot to make the note here, but I think Bellerophon actually survived and then just had a miserable time for the rest of his life, as most of the endings go for these heroes. I just kind of find it funny that Zeus, with all his mighty thunderbolts, just like, you know, I'm just going to send a, a horse fly for this one. <laughs> it's going to be enough. That's one of his powers? He can control horse flies? I guess so. <laughs> But yeah, so th that's that's like a mortal trying to come on. Um, monsters and stuff have also attacked and been repelled by Zeus and company. Like, you know, Zeus's thunderbolts, Ares arrows. Like, there's a whole lot of godly power that could be wrought upon someone trying to climb up. So the amount of access we have at Mount Olympus will really kind of depend on how aggressively the gods mess with the people trying to approach. Like, is Zeus going to bother to personally zap every Taurus that tries to come up? Like... Every plane that flies overhead, is he going to, like, shoot it out of the sky? I'm not really sure. I do know that people are going to keep, like, people as a whole are going to keep trying to go there because that's just our nature. So it kind of got me thinking that one of the tricky parts is that if you have gods in your backyard, they're going to start getting involved. And based on the history of the Greek gods, they're quite prone to it. The Greek gods like to get involved. They like the drama. They're always coming down and messing with mortals in every which way. So for everyone's safety, this becomes reality. I've gone through some of the Greek myths, and I've tried to kind of come together with a few things that you're going to want to try and avoid to make sure that you don't suffer a terrible fate. First off, do your very best not to be a woman or attractive. <laughs> Greek gods as a whole are horny as hell. Zeus especially gets freaky with just about anything that moves. One of his go-to moves was that he turned into a goose in order to, uh, sorry, it's a swan. I wrote goose. It's a swan. Great <laughs> <laughs> goose. <laughs> right? Let me, let, me, uh, let me double check that one. Honk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm Zeus. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a swan. I, I'm remembering it as a swan. I wrote goose, but ignore that. Anyway, yeah, he turned it into Zeus a little bit, which was strangely successful. But uh, besides all Zeus's nonsense, everyone knows that. The story that stuck with me, to kind of give any idea of how bad it is, the story of Pan's flute. So... There was this nymph on Earth that Pan was very heavily stalking. Nymphs in Greek mythology are basically slightly, slightly magic nature ladies. They don't wear many clothes. They're generally attractive, but they're they're just only a little bit magic. They're like mostly mortalish. But anyway, upon noticing that Pan was stalking her, this nymph was like, "Hell nah, 
ran away, and then got to the point where she was desperate enough. She got a river god to transform her into reeds so that Pan couldn't possibly still be interested in her because she was literally a bunch of reeds. And then Pan was like, nope, she's mine, and turned the reeds that were the nymph into a flute that he carries, like, that he's known for carrying around. So yeah, if turning yourself into literal grass can't get Pan off your back, then, you know, our human non-magical means are not going to be any help. So again, try not to be a woman or attractive in case you catch the eye of one of these gods. Second off, second second thing you shouldn't do, don't, act, like, accidentally or intentionally, don't mess with their stuff. This one is just a whole bunch of vowel, a bunch of consonants together. Uh, Erisichthin was a Thessalian king who chopped down the sacred grove of the goddess Demeter. Demeter? Demeter? That one you guys might know. I, I actually can't remember. I think it's... Uh, my god is saying Demeter, but I don't have any actual, like... No, I, no, I think it's actually Demeter. I think it's Demeter. <laughs> I'm trying to look at so, my computer right The now. goddess Demeter, in order to build himself a feast hall. So pretty typical tale of greedy king... You know, going too far, messing with the 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 lovely resu- the lovely resources of the earth that were protected by the goddess Demeter. It was Demeter. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Demeter, <laughs> nice Demeter. Anyway, all right. <laughs> so what does what Demeter does for for him chopping down a couple trees is Demeter curses him to be endlessly hungry. Uh, at which point he ate through all his food, spent all his riches on food, tried to sell his daughter for food money, and ultimately literally ate himself. To death, I guess. <laughs> so don't mess with their stuff. They're going to be mad and going to put you with a, honestly, non-proportionate response, I will say. Well, most of their stuff is on Mount Olympus, right? So we don't have to worry about that. We can't get there. I guess they leave stuff around, like a tree. Well, he wasn't on. I mean, the sacred grove of the goddess Dem- uh, Demeter wasn't, I don't think it was on Mount Olympus. It was like somewhere in his kingdom. Mm. So how do you know? How would you know that that sacred grove is Demeter's? Is, it, is there a sign? Did you put be. a sign on it? A label? A name tag? If you liked it, you should have put a sign on it. Then it wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. Third thing you shouldn't do. Don't be good at stuff. <laughs> Arachne was a human weaver who was really good at what she did. So good, she talked a little bit about a smack about it, about being better at it than Athena. Uh, who took that personally? So the goddess Athena challenged Arachne to a tapestry competition, and Arachne made a tapestry that was better than what Athena could do. And so as a victory prize, Athena made it so that she felt so guilty about being better than a god that Arachne ended up killing herself because of her own guilt. Then Athena brought her back to life and turned her into a spider so that she could weave forever. Huh. This was literally just because she was good at weaving and better than Athena. So don't try not to be better at stuff than the gods, even though apparently it's quite possible. They're at least creative with the ways that they kill people. Yeah, it doesn't really help, though. <laughs> Honestly, it makes it more terrifying for me. Fourth one, my last piece of advice here. Fourth off, don't get pitied for any reason. Don't give any reason for God to pity you. Ixion was the king of Lepiths. Lepiths. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> after some typical drama about a wedding and some other promises, you know, typical Greek mythology type stuff, all sorts of drama, he murdered a dude by pushing him into burning coals. This was considered a breach of guest etiquette uh, and also murder, at which point he was rightfully exiled and lived as an outcast. After a while, Zeus, all on his own, for no particular reason, took pity on him and invited him up to Mount Olympus. So while Ixion was there, Zeus saw that Ixion was eyeing Hera, Zeus's wife, and as a test, Zeus made a copy of Hera out of clouds 
to test if Ixion would do anything with Cloud Hera. Ixion slept with Cloud Hera and got Cloud Hera pregnant. And then the ultimate result of this was Zeus was pissed, turned Ixion into a burning wheel of fire, and Ixion's kid between this human king and Cloud Hera, for some reason, was the very first of, and the father of all, centaurs. <laughs> okay. I feel like the pitying part is not the, the why he got punished. <laughs> I mean, in, in Ixion's offense, I mean, Hera is pretty much known for being, like, irresistible, and they do get free with just about everybody who goes up there. So, yeah, there's some there's some mistakes made along the way, but really... The, the Like, getting the invite to Mount Olympus, even if you want to go there, don't take it. Just don't get involved. So all those people climbing Mount Olympus, stop. Yeah, so to summarize, don't look good. Don't stupidly mess with stuff. Don't be good at things. And don't get pitied. This is a problem in today's day and age, because those four things make up, like, 95% of social media posts. <laughs> The only thing that kind of kept, you know, well, they weren't real, but really the only thing that the ancient Greeks had going for them was that the gods most, for the most part, ignored them. Like, you know, they came down and meddled every once in a while, but it was kind of like, you know, one-off escapades. But just based on their personalities, you know Zeus and company are going to be on social media all day. They love the drama. They're going to be checking, they're going to be scrolling all day long, and they're going to be seeing all the things people post and getting pissed off about them and just, like, handing down ironic punishments. They're going to send a horse fly. They're going to send a horse fly over to you <laughs> and it's going to bite your dog in the dick and it's going to, your dog's going to like bite your throat and then you're going to be killed and you're going to be resurrected as a horse because that's the irony of it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's bad news because I think there's just, they're all crazy people and if you just do anything, there's a solid chance that they're going to take exception to it and you're going to have a bad time. So don't go on the internet <laughs> if, there's, if the Greek gods are real. <laughs> Uh, ben, what did what did you what did you tackle? So I looked a little more specifically than you did, I guess. I looked into basically just the Hydra, specifically the Lernaean Hydra is the actually you know full name of it. Uh, the Hydra was uh, one of the offspring of Typhon and Echidna. Typhon was a monstrous serpentine giant who at one point challenged Zeus for rule of the cosmos. Uh, Echidna was a monstrous half-woman, half-snake, who, as far as I can tell, basically just lived in a cave and was Typhon's lover slash mother of various fearsome beasts. In fact, most of the, like, famous monsters in Greek mythology were apparently all children of Echidna. So there was Orthrus, which was the two-headed dog who guarded the cattle of Geryon, uh, which, stealing those, was the tenth labor of Heracles. There is Cerberus, who is more well-known, which is the three-headed dog who guarded the gates of the underworld, who, capturing Cerberus, was Heracles' twelfth labor. Uh, the third child was Hy Hydra, which, slaying Hydra, was Heracles' second labor. In some accounts, it's a little varied. Um, have her as the mother of the Nemean lion, which, killing the Nemean lion, was Heracles' first labor, and also the mother of Ladon, or Ladon, I'm not sure, uh, the dragon that guarded the golden apples in the Garden of Hesperides, which, stealing three of those, was Heracles' eleventh labor. And our, my main takeaway here is that whoever forgot the labors of Heracles really, really didn't like Echidna, clearly, because they were mostly just, like, murdering or capturing or stealing from her children. I mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a running theme. Like, I'm pretty sure, um, who's the, is it, is it Kronos is the first one? Yeah, Kronos was Zeus's the... Zeus's dad? Yeah. He was the youngest one, but he was, like, the leader. Yeah, because his whole shtick was that he murdered all of his children for fear that it would overthrow them, and he murdered all of them except Zeus, who then overthrew him, and... <laughs> 
Yeah. And basically punched him so hard that he threw up all the previous kids he had eaten that were still alive, and then they took him out. So it's like, well, do you really, I can't really blame the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the Hydra uh, specifically was, it was a serpentine water monster in Greek mythology. It was raised by Hera to kill Heracles, actually. The most notable feature probably is that it had many heads. Uh, the exact number varies by the, the telling of the story. Nine is a pretty common number I, I, I uh, saw. Uh, and it was invulnerable as long as it kept one head. And earlier tellings of sort of the, the Hydra myth didn't always contain this part, but eventually they all sort of decided that it would regenerate heads. Anytime a head was cut off, two more would grow back in its place, which is obviously pretty, uh, pretty rough stuff. Heracles killed it by basically just covering his mouth and nose with a cloth to protect himself from the poisonous fumes. So, you know, Heracles maxed up too. You know, get on it, people. How did he kill it in the movie? In the Disney movie? I don't remember. Uh, I think he... What did he do? Crushed it with rocks? Crushed it with... I think he crushed... I think he crushed it with rocks. Yeah. I thought he got eaten or something. He cut it from the inside. Oh, I think that was the first head. That was the first head, I think. And then Yeah, he gets swallowed and cuts out of the first... Like, through the first neck. Yeah, no, it's definitely a cave-in because I remember them peeking... the, The little imps peeking out between the rubble afterwards yeah um and actually the way that he he in the myth he winds up slaying it is once he realizes the heads grow back he gets his nephew uh Iolaus to as he cuts off heads cauterize the wound um which is like i don't know it was like a like a hot iron or something i don't know how they got that one to work <laughs> but whatever and when, when when the wound was cauterized the head would not regrow so they cut off all the heads until the last one cut off the last head and then put that head under a rock so Hercules, the movie, did actually sort of take that part from the myth. So really, the Hydra's inherent weakness is the Jedi, because they automatically yes. cauterize those wounds. Exactly. In terms of real-world parallels to the Hydra, you can actually kind of get most of the parts of it. So, oh, also I forgot, it also has poisonous blood. It's not just like the fumes like the, around it that were poisonous. It also has poisonous blood, in case that, you know, the whole multi-headed serpent wasn't enough. Um, so that's cool. In terms of the regeneration, there are actually creatures, creatures, animals that can regenerate limbs. A lot of amphibians, you know, salamanders, uh, starfish, but not as quick as the Hydra could, definitely. Uh, Usually it takes them months. For poisonous blood, there actually is one very relevant example, which is eels. Um, As far as I can tell, the only example I can find of an animal of poisonous blood. Turns out eels blood is very toxic. Even having just a small amount can kill you. Uh, It has a protein in it that causes muscle cramps, including cramps in your heart which is what we call a heart attack, uh, which will kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're wondering why you can eat eel, it's because that the cooking process will denature those proteins and then it's fine to eat. So that's why you, if you ever get like, you know, unagi, you know, eel sushi, it's always cooked, never raw, because raw eel would maybe kill you. So don't eat it. I, now I don't even want to order it anymore. Now I, now oh, I'm you should. Spooked. It's delicious. Unagi's great. Definitely try it uh, I'm not, for I'm reputable not, cooks. Not I've, I've, I've had some good unagi, but it's not my favorite. I don't like the texture. Too eely. It's really just the sauce that's good. Well, the sauce is good. I mean, I like, I like the eel too. Yeah. In terms of what we can actually do with having a real hydra. So my assumption is that we can capture it because, I don't know, we can figure that out. It's not, it can't be that hard, right? And then what you get when you have a hydra with this regeneration particularly is an infinite source of animal bits. Because assuming you just cut off a head... You basically cut off cut off all the heads until you get back down to the last one, cauterize the wounds each time, and then cut off, you know, cut off a head and get two more heads. Keep doing that. You got infinite heads. Slash necks, I guess. And a PETA issue. And a PETA. I mean, it's a poisonous snake monster. Just just keep it. There's only one. They won't notice. It's fine. 
I, one of the Greek gods is gonna have to take issue with Peta <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yes, yeah, probably Poseidon. They're gonna they're gonna start rebelling about how how the how the Greek gods are abusing horse flies, <laughs> and they're just gonna get <laughs> bolted out of the sky. Something about about Zeus stealing swans' valor. <laughs> but with this infinite source of animal parts, there are a few things you can do. You have, I'm assuming, some amount of neck bone. Bones are kind of useful. You can, you know, there's like the main thing you can do with is like fertilizer. It's a good source of a lot of the, you know, nutrients plants need apparently. Um, but fertilizer isn't necessarily like a, you know, a huge industry where having one hydrate neck every once in a while worth of fertilizer is going to be a huge difference for you. Assuming that the skin of a hydra, which I couldn't find any particularly good descriptions of, is similar to snake skin or eel skin. Uh, those are pretty popular for clothing. So you might be able to do something there. But the big thing is that we have a lot of meat. And sticking with eels, eel meat can actually be very, very expensive. Um, so what you get at like a sushi place usually will just be like sea eels, which aren't that pricey. But the hydra lived in a swamp, which means it's technically likely a freshwater creature. And freshwater eels are actually frequently very expensive. Specifically, the most expensive, as far as I can tell, are baby glass eels, which are a delicacy in Japan. In 2018, only 10 tons of them were farmed, uh, which was down about 50% from what it was in 2017. I couldn't find numbers for since then, but not many are being farmed. And the cost of a pound of them was more than $14,000 in 2018. There is actually also a fishery in Maine that farms them too, which is kind of random. That is lower priced because it's not from Japan, but it's still around $1,849 per pound as of 2021. And if we get the one Hydra, we suddenly have all the supply of this rare, we're going to say, eel meat. <laughs> we're going to put that main business out of business. We are. So so how much meat can we get from one Hydra head slash neck? So sticking with eels, you know, continuing, the largest eel in the world is the European conger, or apparently it's literally called the conger conger. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> On average, they're around five feet long and 160 pounds. There was a very large example found once that was 9.8 feet long and 350 pounds, which feels about right to me for a Hydra neck slash head. You know, that seems reasonable, 10 foot long. I couldn't figure out a great way to determine how much actual meat you get out of that. The only number I could find in terms of like proportion of meat you get out of slaughtering an animal for a cow you get around 60% of the weight of the cow as meat after you slaughter it. I'm going to guess that's kind of our floor here because a lot of that involves like organs and stuff you wouldn't have in the neck. But using that 60%, you're still going to get around 210 pounds of meat per head cut. And going at $14,000 a pound, that's $2.94 million of hydra meat per head. It probably won't necessarily be quite that much, but if we go down to the main numbers of, of 1849 per pound, that's still a little under $400,000 per head that you cut off of the Hydra. Um, assuming, you know, people want to eat Hydra meat, which admittedly may be <laughs> yeah. a big ask. <laughs> but the unit price <laughs> might go down to one of the cheaper meats. It might, but even if you get down to a quarter of that, you're still looking at about $100,000 per head of a Hydra, which is making some pretty good money. So yeah, so I guess my answer, if Greek mythology was real, I would capture the Hydra and then open a lucrative Hydra meat selling business. I guess you could actually just judge like what the demand is and meet demand exactly. Like it's just Hydra heads right? to order. Exactly. You know, it's perfect. You keep the price artificially high. How fast does the, the Hydra head grow back? Like is I mean, it, it was instant? fast enough that they, they grew back 
during the fight with Hercules, right? Okay, so we're using that as fact. Yeah. Well. Okay. Hold on. What do you mean? So, yes, we're we're saying that the myths are fact. Like. <laughs> yeah, but that they like the Disney movie. Okay. Well, no, I, I'm saying like like I mean in in the fight they had to cauterize the wounds. Oh, like, okay, the okay. Beach, right? You're like, not talking about the Disney movie. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I'm saying yeah. You're talking sorry, about the actual story. Yeah. In the actual story, yeah, like it's it's relevant that they had to cauterize the wounds to stop them growing back. So it's fast enough that in a fight with the beast you had to deal with that. Right. So even if you can only do one per hour, you're still gonna have a pretty good uh pretty good output there. So yeah. Lucrative. All right. Chris, what'd you do? So I for my Greek mythology stuff, I looked at the Mori, also known as the Fates, or the Three Fates, or the Sisters of Fate, I think some people call them. And they're basically like if you've seen the Hercules movie, they're the three sisters that like hold the cloth uh, the the thread and they like cut it and stuff don't they also share an eyeball like one eyeball between them they do in the movie i don't actually know if that's if that's accurate to the myth or not i didn't actually look into that <laughs> you know i couldn't re- i couldn't remember if it, if there was just one eye they shared or if they just had an extra eye around that they tossed around no i actually watched the clip like right before we started recording and there is just one eyeball that they all share but the point of the fates is that they they basically decide everyone's fate which is why they're called the Fates. So there are three of them. And so the first one is named Clotho. I don't, I guess that's how you pronounce it, Clotho. (laughs) (laughs) She's the spinner and she spins the thread. It's sort of supposed to represent birth. Lachesis or Lachesis. Lachesis. Oh, yes. You have you, you actually did Greek mythology instead of meat prices, so you have to actually say all the same words I did. Hey, I had a bunch of stuff from the, uh, the trials of Heracles. There you go. Come on. There was some stuff in there. So Lachesis is the, a lauder, so she measures the thread, and she kind of represents the life, like the lifespan of the person. And then Atropos is the unturnable, and she cuts the thread, which represents death. So basically, they create a thread that that like represents your lifespan. So I want to see what if these fates were real, and that means what if everyone's life was paired to a length of thread, is basically what I wanted to look at. So how much thread would there actually be? To answer this question, I had to kind of, I looked at like one single person. So how long would one person's thread be? My thought is that they kind of, I had to like figure out how fast they spin this thread because it's not really established. But my thought is that they would basically continuously spin thread for the duration of the person's life. And then at the end of the life, they would cut the thread and the person dies. So they're just continuously spinning. So what is the rate of their spinning thread? So the normal rate of spinning thread kind of depends on the method that you're spinning. You can use a spinning wheel, which is like a sort of more advanced mechanical thing that lets you spin faster. Or you can hand spin, which uses a spindle and a distaff. Also, I don't know if I'm saying that right, distaff. I mean, that's how it's spelled. But it sounds wrong when I, I say don't it. Know, I don't know the term, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, no clue. <laughs> <laughs> You're either saying it's so wrong, I think it's something else, or I don't know what it is. <laughs> I guess it could be like die staff. It's D-I- Oh, a die staff. staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, I can keep on saying distaff. So distaff holds the unspinned fibers, and the spindle is used to spin the fibers into thread. Uh, so it, it kind of depends on what method you're using. So... There's actually a, in 2010, 
the spin-off magazine, they held a yarn spinning competition and they wanted to see who could spin the longest yarn in 15 minutes. So the fastest wheel spinner spun 92 yards of yarn in 15 minutes, which is 18 feet per minute or 3.7 inches per second. But in most of the artist depictions of the fates, they show Clotho holding a distaff. I haven't seen any with the spindle in their hands, but they usually are holding the distaff, which sort of indicates that they are hand spinning and not using a wheel, uh, a spinning wheel. So if they're hand spinning in that same competition by Spinoff Magazine, uh, the fastest hand spun yarn was 56 yards in 15 minutes, which is 11 feet per minute or 2.2 inches per second. So that's kind of the rate that I'm going to use for the, the spinning of the thread. Well, yeah, if they went any faster, they would get murdered because they were too good at spinning. <laughs> right. Actually, I think technically they're like above the gods, kind of. <laughs> if you like look at the hierarchy of like gods oh, and like, oh, mytholo- oh, oh, oh. mythological creatures. <laughs> not not literally. I thought, I felt like like you were saying spin-off magazine was above the gods. Oh, like, oh no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> the fates. Spin-off magazine's got some major clout on that Olympus. <laughs> Yeah, don't let Athena hear him say hear uh, hear him say that. <laughs> they, they, they just learn some new. They just read some articles on new on faster spinning techniques, and suddenly everyone's dying twenty years earlier. So I wanted to see like how how long could a piece of thread get. Uh, so I looked up the world record for longest wool spun or spun longest spun wool, hand spun wool specifically. It was broken, or I guess set. The record was set in twenty eleven by Ruth Go 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 Ga. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's got to be what three letters in that name? It's G O U G H. Oh, I think it's like Van Gogh, right? Ruth Go could be Go, yeah, sure. <laughs> you can. It's six letters. You can pronounce it as many syllables as you want. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Ruth Go, she broke it in the uni- University of Huddersfield, and the thread of wool was three hundred and twenty-six feet long. That's the longest thread. But I don't really see any reason why you can't go past that. I don't. There's like no structural limiting factors really to like the length of thread. It's not like holding or anything. Um, it's just a piece of thread that exists. So that means you will be able to reach whatever length you need to get to like the oldest person who ever lived. So who is the oldest person who, that ever lived? And that would go to Jean Calment, who is a French person. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that right. <laughs> She lived to the age of 122 years and 164 days, uh, and she passed away in 1997 in France. Um, and she's the only verified person to live past 120. Now, based on the spinning rate of our fa- of our fates, the spinning rate of the cloth of the thread, that means that her thread would be 136,613 miles long. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So that that thread would be able to wrap around Earth 5.5 times. Uh, It's a long thread. But that's just one person. How much thread would we have for everyone? So I didn't use the longest longest person ever live. I I looked at the average life expectancy, which is 73.2 years currently. And the current world population is 7.9 billion people. So one average person's thread would be around... 81,667 miles long and the total length of thread to represent everyone's life in the entire world in in the world is 
645 trillion miles. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What does that number mean? That means it'd be able to wrap around Earth 25 billion times. (laughs) (laughs) So coming up with this number, I'm just imagining like a yarn ball around Earth. But yarn is like very thin. So I want to see if this is actually true. Would it actually be able to like cover the whole surface area of the Earth? Because Earth is pretty big. So I looked up like common yarn sizes like standard sizes, they number them from like one to I think like nine or something. I picked four. So four number four yarn, they call medium thickness. They classify it as nine to 12 wraps per inch. Now a wrap per inch is basically you like wrap the yarn around something like a spindle. It can be anything really. And then they measure how many layers of that yarn are within an inch. So basically nine to 12 wraps per inch means that the yarn is a ninth of an inch to a twelfth of an inch thick. Now, I just picked a tenth of an inch just to make it easier, even though I was just using a calculator. So didn't really make it that much easier. But In fact, you had to hit, you had to hit an additional number. You made it harder on yourself. You should have just used nine. I know. I know. But that means that if it's a tenth of an inch thick and it's wrapping around Earth 25 billion times, the yarn is going to cover 1.018 billion square miles of the earth the surface area of the earth is 196.9 million square miles so that means that we can fully cover the surface area of the earth five times with our yarn which means that if the three fates were real the earth would literally be a giant yarn ball five layers of yarn is the right amount for just be like cushy it it just gives it it just gives everyone like a little (laughs) bit like a lot less like skin knees you know yeah and I guess technically that would only be like all the people that are alive. And then once you die, the yarn stays there, I guess. Well, that would be bad. That would be we're bad. Gonna, we're going to add up pretty quick because. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do the math for that, but it would be bad. <laughs> That's how we conclude a lot of answers. I didn't do all the math of that, but it would be bad. <laughs> I don't need to do the math to know that would be bad. Excellent. So we're all going to die ironic deaths. Ben's going to cash in. Yep. And we're going to have we're all going to be living on big old cozy yarn ball. And with that. We can move over to our uh, Would You Rather question. Ben, are you ready for a Would You Rather? Yes. Would you rather have an evil twin or an evil child? Huh. Oh, this is interesting. Does your evil twin have, like, stereotypically evil facial hair? Or do they look exactly (laughs) like you? This is a relevant question. I mean, I guess they could choose to have facial hair, right? Hmm, fair. Okay. So here's the problem, right? You might think to yourself, okay, if I have an evil twin, and they do, as you'd imagine they would, evil things, people might think that I did them. And that's bad. It's very bad. But you can live your life in a way that gives you alibis consistently that, no, no, it wasn't me, it was my evil twin. If you have an evil child... They are your responsibility and your dependent. And if they do evil things, you are 100% liable. You can't alibi your way out of it. Well, until they're 18. Until they're 18, yeah. (laughs) Until they're 18, yeah. That's a long time. That's a long time. A lot of evil you can get up to in that that time there. Do you know your child is evil? Like, do you know that your child's been cursed to be evil or something? Or is it just like, your kid just sucks? (laughs) Like... (laughs) Your kid just is like, like, you know, just starts doing all the typical, like, you know, 
behaviors like pulling the like the wings off flies and you know manipulating their classmates and just doing all sorts like always getting into trouble you're like oh my kid's just a little terrible person i guess i would say yes you know that they're inherently evil you know that both of them are inherently evil you'd figure it out eventually right like the thing is for, for me it's like if it's my kid that's the worst because i can't imagine a worse thing than being in a position where it's like i can't make this kid like it's a hard to love it's hard to love this kid when he's literally evil and the worst. <laughs> like, that's a really, really upsetting position. And I will take the evil twin that I can, you know, make efforts to remove them from my life as much as possible. I mean, the twin is still family. I know it's it's easier to remove them from your life, but they are still family. Is an evil twin family? I guess, I guess like, there's not, there's not like a... It's, it makes it a little closer if it's a evil sibling that you grow up with, who has, like, they're evil in the an, way an that they're, evil, like, trying to ruin Like an evil life. fraternal twin. Yeah. That makes, a little, that makes it a little closer, because for me, it's not close. It's just going to be the evil twin as the one I'd rather have. Wait, why does that make... Why is the fraternal t- twin better? No, no, no. Fraternal, fraternal is worse, but I'm saying if, like, if it's between just a, you know, laboratory supervillain layer, oh, I suddenly have an evil twin in my adulthood that, you know, just tries to mess with me sometimes, I'd take that over having oh. the kid. Well, my, I was thinking, like, laboratory, that, that would be a clone. I'm saying it's a twin is your brother. It's a literal brother. Okay. Because I feel like evil twin doesn't necessarily imply actual sibling. I feel like evil twin, something gets used for like a clone situation. Oh, I guess it could, yeah. That's how I was interpreting it. Well, I think that's the way we should interpret it. Because I think it's not close otherwise. I still think I'd rather go evil twin just because I feel like it's easier to disown like a sibling than a child. Yeah, it definitely is. I feel like the child, like... Their evilness is more likely to be targeted towards you than other people, mm, whereas the twin will just be doing their own thing elsewhere, like messing with other people. The thing is, the, e- the evil child is at your house living with you always. Yeah, I would never feel safe. Your evil twin is going gonna, is gonna to have at least his own apartment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a restraining order on an evil twin. You can't get a restraining order on an evil child. Until they well, evil child, you could, like, um, what do you call it? You could theoretically put the evil child up, up for adoption, adoption and things. Yeah. Well, that seems mean. Yeah, I don't like, I like that less than just dealing with the, uh, if I'm going to have to go that emotionally hard against, you know, something that's family, it's, I'd rather it, it be, be an evil you. Yeah, adult I than a it. child, yeah. So it's leaning pretty heavily towards evil twin. Is there anything better about the evil child? Well, they are a child. Like just because that's just because they're an evil child doesn't necessarily mean like they're an evil genius child. They might have very <laughs> ineffective plans. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> they might be, you know, if you just take away their uh, got freedoms, that <laughs> <laughs> you could probably keep them under control for a while. And then, I mean, I imagine once your evil child turns eighteen, they're going to want to move out. So basically, you'd have it's you know, imagine the eighteen years. And they can only be so evil between, you know, ages like zero and like 10. They haven't reached the full potential of evil. Yeah, it's really only like in the teen years where you gotta start worrying about them doing like actual nasty stuff. So you'd have that. But I imagine once they're, once they're no longer a child, it, they'll at least change their focus and then it won't be exactly your problem anymore. Now, what if you had evil twins? Oh, God. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> that's just <laughs> twice as bad. That's just that's just twice as bad. Like they they're additive. They're definitely not like I don't think you can count on them 
like, going after each other and, like, canceling out some of their own nonsense. I think it's just twice as bad. There's two of them. <laughs> yeah, no, I I can't, I, I can't, I couldn't emotionally process, like, having to have a, a, a shitty kid. That, like, like, an evil kid. That would be, I think, a very, very harsh emotional burden. Plus, you're gonna get blamed for the stuff they do, too. Like, you know, like, people are just like, oh, wow, what a terrible parent. And it's like, no, my kid's literally evil. That's not a way to parent. <laughs> Maybe your kid wouldn't be so evil if you stopped calling him evil. No, he's, I can't. He's literally cursed. He, here's the, here's the ancient talisman I, I accidentally dug up. Objectively evil. <laughs> Objectively evil. Here's the, his, here's the birth certificate. Look, it's signed by Satan. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree. I prefer having an evil twin. Even just like saying evil twin or evil child, like elicits completely different emotions like evil twin is kind of goofy it can be kind of goofy evil child is like very sinister yeah definitely also you could turn you could turn the tables on your evil twin because they're gonna have a, they're gonna have a criminal rap assumedly so if you ever do something bad you blame your twin yeah <laughs> maybe <laughs> no, you're the evil twin him. all along ben did you go did you choose oh yeah i i in complete agreement i thought i said it already yes yeah definitely evil twin over evil child yeah well I think that's, uh, I think that one's still fairly clear. Anyway, now's the part of the podcast episode where I ask you guys for stuff. You can, ha- you can do it, or you can have your evil twin or your evil kid do it if they are willing, but probably not because they're evil. So for the side of good, first off, send us some questions. Um, hop on to the comments below if you're listening to this on YouTube, or just go into your email. Send us an email, absurdhypotheticals at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to get listener questions because I'm sure you guys have lots of cool ideas that you've been hypotheticalizing in your own head. And we'd love for you to share them with us so that we can make them real in this show. Also, uh, if you are enjoying the show, leave a review. Don't let your evil twinny leave a review. They're going to leave a bad review. Leave us a good review and that'll help grow the show, helps boost our visibility on all the different little search engines. When people find the show, they're more likely to listen if they see some good reviews along with it. So we always encourage our good, good listeners to leave good, good reviews. And finally, if you want to help the show directly with your hard-earned dollars, you can go to www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals and become a patron for just a singular dollar each month. You get access to all our bonus content that we release exclusively for our patrons. We do a bonus episode every month. They're all there. You get access to all of them all at once when you join, and your support means the world to us. In any case... The simplest way to support the show, that's not any of those three things, is to just keep listening to it. And you can listen to it next week when we answer the following question. What if all life used photosynthesis? (laughs) 